little note before we get started, this episode does contain some language surrounding cannibalism and murder, so please take care when listening. When you start reading the book, you have a sense of how society is supposed to work, and then you have to like rewire your brain into thinking how her society is supposed to work so you get used to it and then it starts crumbling down around her so you have to kind of like put yourself back into how society actually works she can't kill people she can't eat people that's not really how life goes so sorry honey you gotta go Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is Rebecca Sassman-Cat, lover of all books weird and slightly disturbing. Now, before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the book's review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish the book and come right back to this episode. But if you're fine with the spoilers and are just here for a fun-loving conversation, maybe sometimes heated, then welcome. We are so glad you're here. Whether you want to read one, none, or all of these books, the choice is up to you. These reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely two opinionated amateur readers. So you may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. You can tell us your opinions and hot takes on our Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. That's at R-W-R-E-A-I-D-S-P-O-D-C-I-S-T on Instagram and TikTok. So without further ado, Let's pull some corks and get reading. This week we read A Certain Hunger by Chelsea G. Summers. Welcome, Rebecca, to the Red Wine Reads podcast. We're so excited you're here. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. How are you today? I feel tired. I'm very tired. (laughs) (laughs) I literally spent most of my night last night finishing this book so it's fresh but i am not fresh there you go but my brain is full of cannibalism so what else can i want oh my gosh i know this is kind of one of those books you maybe know don't love to read at night sends you into some weird dreams at least for me i have so many opinions i'm so excited to get talking about this okay i can't wait i hope this is kind of a a duke it out situation i don't i think we'll have the same opinion but on like different ends of the spectrum if that makes sense okay well let's just dive right in because um i just can't any longer So this week we read A Certain Hunger by Chelsea G. Summers. A few quick facts before we hop into the summary and the plot and all that fun stuff. Uh, I had a lot of fun collecting these quick facts because I, after I got done reading this, I was like, I have to figure out who this Chelsea Summers gal is and what her deal is. So this book was published in 2019. It was her debut novel and it really just exploded on book talk on TikTok. That's where I saw it everywhere. Yes. It just like absolutely blew up. And it actually started as an audiobook, like an audio format only. And then it kind of transferred into this book, like a paper copy that people have started reading. So it's a very interesting path. It has a 3.9 out of 5 on Goodreads. So as you look through the reviews, they are very varied. (laughs) I haven't done any research on this book because I just finished it so late. 
Yes, it's a fun time to look into this Goodreads review account. This is from her website. This is a, like her sentence describing herself. She says, recovering academic, ex-stripper, and woman of a certain age, Chelsea G. Summers lives in Manhattan and writes almost exclusively about sex. So she's kind of a contributing writer to different publications, a lot of them sex-oriented. So she writes a lot of sex-based articles, which definitely comes across in this book. In her, I had to read, like, I... Again, I just did some deep diving. I read her acknowledgments like like I did the entire book. I never read people's acknowledgments, but I was just like, I have to read this. And she had a great like story in it. She said that she had a friend that was reading her tarot cards and they say, you'll have two projects inside you. Both are good and they'll do really well, but they'll bring you to dark places, but you'll make money. And she was like, hmm. So then she's she's like, that's exactly when I started writing this book. And so then she quotes, this is from her acknowledgments. She says, writing this book was a leap of faith, a jump into the void of my creative unconscious and a willing suspension of my belief that I could do something that I never done before, that I never trained to do, and that I desperately, feverishly, furiously wanted to do for as long as I'd known that books were a thing that people could make. So she didn't, she's not like a writer. Like, well, she's a, she's a article writer. So she She's a contributing writer, but yeah, she's an ex-stripper too. So love that. Yes. I think that just gives you, I just wanted this. You really need a background of her in order to kind of dive into this book. And I think that that just describes her so well. And honestly, the way the book is like set up, and this was one of the points that I was going to bring up. So I'm actually glad that you started with that because it makes more sense the way the book is structured. Yep. Which we will get into in two seconds. We'll read the summary. It's a really good summary, I just have to say. Here we go. So food critic Dorothy Daniels loves what she does, discerning, meticulous, and very, very smart. Dorothy's clear mastery of the culinary arts make it likely that she could, on any given night, whip up a more inspired dish than any one of the chefs she writes about. Dorothy loves sex as much as she loves food, and while she has struggled to find a long-term partner that can keep up with her, she makes the best of her single life, frequently traveling from Manhattan to Italy for a taste of both. But there's something within Dorothy that's different from everyone else, and having suppressed it long enough, she starts to embrace what makes Dorothy uniquely, terrifyingly herself. Recounting her life from a seemingly idyllic farm-to-table childhood, the heights of her career, to the moment she plunges an ice pick into a man's neck on Fire Island, Dorothy Daniels shows us what happens when a woman finally embraces her superiority. A satire of early foodieism, a critique of how gender is defined, and a showcase of virtuoso storytelling, Chelsea G. Summers' A Certain Hunger introduces us to the world's most charming psychopath and an exciting new voice in fiction. So we have our main characters. We have Dorothy Daniels. So she's the narrator. She's the older woman in kind of like her 40s is what I gather. And she's a food writer. And she's also a psychopath in prison for killing a bunch of men and eating their different parts. So as we get into the story, we kind of go down the line of all the men she has killed and eaten parts of. So the first person that she killed was kind of on accident, kind of not, but it was an Italian man named Giovanni. She ran him over with her car and she ended up just cutting out his liver and eating his liver. Uh, there was Andrew who had a bedonkadonk and so she killed him by carbon monoxide poisoning and ate his buttocks. <laughs> it's just insane. Then you had Gil. He was the publisher of the Eat and Drink publication that Dorothy worked at. She actually really liked Gil. She, she liked all these men, but she ended up killing him by knowing that he had an allergy. And then as he was suffering from asphyxiation, uh, she pushed him off a boat and then she ate his tongue. 
Then there was Marco, which was probably the most brutal killing. He was a kosher butcher and she was writing a story about him in Italy. And then she slit his throat and ate his stomach. No, she took the stomach and she took... She took a big muscle and then his stomach, but his stomach went bad. Yeah, because she was like, he was vegan. So his stomach like wasn't filled with anything like really good. So she was like, it was kind of gross. What did she eat? His haunches or something like that. Oh, yeah. She ate like a big, like muscly part. Yeah. Like his pecs or his like haunches or something. Yes, yes. And his stomach. And his stomach. And then you have Casimir, who was the guy at the end where she killed him with an ice pick. And that was the one she got caught for and ended up going to prison. Did you notice that she also mentions two other guys? Yes. She says shoving Liam off the side of a cliff and Yves for a bee sting. So another anaphylactic shock. But she doesn't mention eating either of them. That's kind of the best part about this book. You have no idea what... What is, I mean, it's true to her, but... But I was just like, who are these men? One of the things that I do want to note before we get too into it, now that we've established that she has a thing and it's killing and eating her lovers. Yes. In the book, I believe she classifies herself as a sociopath, which is very different from a psychopath. No, here it says as a woman psychopath, the white tiger of a human psychological deviance, I am a wonder and I relish your awe. Okay. She might, she might do both. Like she might say she's both. Which kind of throws me off because I would classify her as a sociopath, which is different from a psychopath. A sociopath is a mental disorder that has complete disregard for other people's feelings due to the lack of like empathy. And then psychopath, I believe, is just like a violent and abnormal like social disorder, which I mean, you could possibly characterize her as both. But I think the thing that she most leaned on throughout the book was she was only doing things that benefited her. And psychopath is a mental disorder that's like more violent in nature, where yes, she does violently kill people and eat them, but the first thing I remember where she like defined herself, she describes herself as only doing things that benefited herself with full like disregard of anyone else's feelings or what they want. If anyone like proposed anything to her, she would only do it if it benefited her in some way. I just quickly Googled sociopath versus psychopath. And there are definitely things that fit the sociopath side of things, like can form emotional attachments, but it's difficult to recognize what they are doing, but rationalize their behavior. I feel like she does that. But with like the psychopath, it's kind of like they maintain a normal life as a cover for criminal activity, fail to form genuine emotional attachments, which I I feel like she kind of does. Um, it does say may love people in their own way. It's a fine line, but I, I would not have chosen psychopath. I think it, that's more of like a buzzword. Yes. And she doesn't have really, as we kind of like dive deeper into the plot, as she's killing these people, as she's killing these men, it's very nonchalant why she wants to kill. Like there was never kind of a trigger of like, oh, this man did something really bad to me. Let me kill him. And she even describes it of like people think that women psychopaths go off the rails and start killing men. It's because they were wronged by some men. And that's usually what happens. But for her, it's like none of that happened. And she just kind of was like, I'm just going to run this guy over with my car. I didn't mean to kind of there's like some subconscious level of her just like wanting to kill someone. And I think that's what made this book so unique. 
there was no this is what happened this is what when she turned from fun loving woman to this it was just a gradual progression and then she just killed a guy and then was like I'm fine with it let's just do it a couple more times and she kind of see, saw it as more of like a symbol of appreciation toward the person it was kind of it was just like a weird feeling while reading it because I felt like there was no point at which she kind of took on that like hero's journey in, in a way of a villain's journey of that sort of sense I agree and I really appreciated that part because it really like played into like she had this mental struggle of going on where she like recognizes that she's just playing the game of life the best way that she knows how other people play the game but she needed a way to basically balance that scale of I still need to enjoy my life in some way but how do I do that without throwing off the balance because she was like I need to be able to do this in a way that's sustainable so I can live and exist as I am which is a psychopath or sociopath so I need to be able to do something that gives me life, which turned out to be killing other people and performing her art form, which is a food and being a food critic. So she eats them. But I think because she understood that game, it wasn't like a point where she was like, this man beat me, so I hate men and I'm going to run Giovanni over. It was just kind of like, all right, oops, we're doing this. This is thrilling so I guess this is my thing now unfortunate but here we go so I really appreciated that she's just in it and she's like all right this is my thing like I enjoy this this is the first thing I've enjoyed since becoming a food critic so how can I marry the two yep I'll eat their liver I'm a fucking genius (laughs) yes that was like the perfect (laughs) description of how that went down and I guess we can for those of you who haven't read it and who just want to listen to this conversation I'll just give you the general plot so we start off with Dorothy she's in Manhattan. She wants to become a food writer. She writes for all these different publications. She kind of goes back and forth between Manhattan and Italy. She has um, sexual endeavors with different men in Manhattan and Italy. And then the pivotal point of when she kind of starts taking the decision to start killing the men that she is sleeping with is when she runs Giovanni over with her car in Italy. And then she just kind of starts kind of going back to different men that she had had relationships with. One of those main men was Marco, who was the Jewish butcher. He was kind of like her biggest conquest. It took him a lot of years and like she kept going back to him and he had a wife, but would always kind of have an affair with her when she was in town. And she had this agreement with herself that if Marco came to her and slept with her, that she would not kill him. And then he did that and she ended up killing him. He was kind of an ass to her the whole time before that so she kind of just said you know what F it I'm gonna do it I'm gonna kill him (laughs) and then at the end she ends up killing this man Casimir and she this was the first guy that she hadn't really had a previous relationship with she just went to this island and she didn't really have a connection with him and so she even kind of talks about the turmoil I just killed this guy and like I didn't even know him (laughs) she was like it was fine before because like I knew these guys and then this one was like kind of shocked to her system that she just killed a guy that she didn't really know and he was the only one that she didn't consume, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's the basic storyline. Then they find out she thinks that she tattled to her friend Emma about the whole thing. She thought she like revealed the whole thing in a drunken night. And so she goes to Emma to like confront her because she's having all these 
crazy conspiracy theories that she did it and that Emma's talking to the cops and she confronts Emma. Emma calls the cops because she thinks someone broke into her house and there's like pile of pillows on the bed and Dorothy thinks it's Emma and so she's like, did you tell the cops what I told you about Fire Island and that I killed this guy and then the ice pick and all this stuff and then the cops were like, uh, yeah, you just admitted to the murder of this guy and then arrested her, which is kind of like a bummer. This was my whole qualm about the book. You can finish, I think that was pretty much like the end of it and then they like talk about her time in like prison and her thinking about things Yeah, and then this book is, it's the meta thing of like, this is a book written by the psychopath about her endeavors. Which I liked. I thought that was kind of cool. All in all, she was a writer, like the character Dorothy. So this was kind of like a good way to be like, underneath it all, she was a storyteller. She loved art. She liked the finer things in life. At the end of the day, Dorothy was a creator. So I like appreciated that. If there's a narrator, usually I check out pretty early, Um, but I did like that in this case. The one thing I didn't really like about the way the book was set up is Summers, I feel like wrote it and now knowing that she was like a contributor mainly before this like was her first book, it did seem like a lot of individual unfinished stories that had the common narrative of Dorothy put together. I thought it was so clever. It just felt like she was like, oh, this is an amazing idea. Let me build a story around it. And then it was like little chunks and little bits of different things here and there, which I didn't really like. Emma was its own story. Each guy was its own story. Being a food critic was like a thing. It just seems like there was like three stories put into one. You know, it's funny. I loved the non-linear linear type storyline of this book because I think if it were linear I would have been more like oh my god oh my god like the fact that she like killed all these men back to back I think the fact that I don't know how much time passed in between each I don't know kind of what was happening in between these killings made it more digestible it's weird to say but I I did pull a quote that touches on this and this was always my biggest pet peeve when it came to English courses in college and in high school, but now is kind of my I get it and I love it type of thing, where she says, people tend to think that the most natural stories begin at their beginning and and wind through their middle to their completions, and sometimes they do. But that narrative structure is only as true as time, which is to say as much a construct as a house or a dress or a turducken. Stories are, like justice or skyscrapers, things that humans, humans fabricate. I started this story, for example, somewhere near the end, but that doesn't make it any less true. It makes it artful, but not false. I think that that is interesting (laughs) because I used to hate stories like this. And even when I started this podcast, I hated stories like this. (laughs) I hated books like this because it threw me out of the storyline. I had no idea what was happening, but I think this is like the first book where I think it works really well, at least when I was reading it, because it's chaos and that's how I feel I should feel inside some like a psychopath brain. And I actually really liked it, but I could see even former Jenna before starting this podcast hating it. (laughs) You're probably correct in translating like what she was trying to do. I just wanted the weird shit. I would read a whole book about Marco's death. Marco was my absolute favorite. I thought that The way that he was, you know, they met once a year for decades and she planned this whole meticulous murder because he was Jewish and he was a kosher butcher. She was going to butcher him in the kosher way. Like I actually like stopped reading the book and I like Googled what it entails. It's like a very 
tedious process. Skinning the animal, killing the animal, draining the blood, like you have to remove all of their nerves before, like you have to remove everything in like a certain way before you can collect the meat to give the blood time. If you do everything in the proper way, that's what the amount of time it takes for the blood to drain from the body. And I was like, that's so fucking cool. I was like, she thought of this. She was basically doing it in a way that was supposed to be like, quote unquote, respectful to him. I really wish the author took the time to actually give that to her and give that to the reader. And I understand that nothing goes as planned. But so far, all of her killings kind of like went awry. Like she never really got that satisfaction of like the perfect kill. I was just like, this would have been the perfect one to do that. It was her longest lover. It was her most intricate. Like she planned it out. She got halfway through and I was like, this is so fucking cool. And then she was like, oh, out of time. TikTok. Let me just draw in blood everywhere. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. The rest of the story felt kind of rushed after that. Yeah. The writer's out of time. So she's got to like speed through the rest of this book. And on top of everything, thing not being linear it felt rushed i totally get you i do think the alex like the man she fell in love with was kind of a weird addition i get that you're trying to kind of humanize her it it felt a little forced because we don't need to humanize a psychopath i think the story with emma got my attention because i have like a question on here that i wanted to ask you oh yes i saw people in the goodreads comments debating this <laughs> this question it was is this a feminist story is this a story that shows feminine power or is it a story that kind of shows the downfalls of women and their tendency i guess to take the emotional route because i have my opinion but i wanted to hear what your opinion was during her trial she kind of explained that like, oh, men are more forgiven because, you know, they're like crazy and outrageous and like women need like a reason and a motive. But she's basically like, we don't. We're the exact same. I was like, yeah, like this is not a feminist book. This is a story about a woman who in her very unique circumstances finds a way to enjoy life. And this happens to be through something that humans deem unforgivable. And she like mentions in the beginning third of the book about how like in some states like cannibalism isn't illegal. It's just like socially frowned upon to like eat people, but it's like the killing that people have the problem with. I don't think you should kill people. And you know, the human meat isn't something I would consume myself. It's kind of just like her justifying her scenario. So I was like thinking to myself, does this book pass the Bechdel test? Mm. And for those of you who don't know what the Bechdel test is, the Bechdel test is a test where two female characters are talking about something other than men and relationships and love. No, by definition, the book does not pass the Bechdel test, but there are only literally one instance where they talk about a man in like a relationship way. Maybe two. It's really just her writing down her experience as Dorothy. So it's kind of like not a feminist book because like she really truly is very true to a psychopath and a sociopath. She's really only talking about herself. Yeah, now you're changing my mind. I don't think it's a feminist book. I think that when a writer gives a woman such a insane stance, automatically we're like, oh, well, yeah, obviously it's a feminist book because, you know, woman power. But I'm like, ah, hold on. I don't know if I agree with that one in this case. Huh. Okay. I will throw my opinion in that of why it could be a feminist novel, because I just have to read this quote. The goddess of femininity 
is cruel to mature women, crushing our brittle bones in her silken youthful grip. As a girl, when you grow up, you become delectable. As a woman, when you grow old, you turn immaterial. Unless you bear children, unless you make art, unless you leave a legacy. That quote, and then this one. Our female friends, the close ones, are the many breaks we take from the totalitarian work it requires to keep up the performance of being female. I loved that quote. I really, I, okay, even though I kind of like shit on it before, in its individuality, loved that part because it's like, that's just so accurate. It's so accurate. Everyone thinks it's like, well, you have female friends to gossip and to do makeovers and to talk about boys and all this stuff. And yes, of course we do. But the female friends are the ones that you go to and be like, can I just wear my sweatpants and talk about like shit that happened at work that I thought was weird? And then it's like, yes, of course. And then you open up that conversation. And I think it's kind of funny that like when you first meet a friend, you're like putting on this show of like, I'm very nice. I'm very sweet. Hi, it's nice to meet you. And then as soon as you like have that one thing in common, either bitching about something at work or you, you know, thing that nobody wants to talk about. And then you just kind of all the walls come down. And then that's kind of what that female friendship is like. And I feel like that even with a psychopath for her to notice that and kind of mimic that with Emma and be able to kind of indulge in that with Emma, I think is fascinating. And it's also this is like the the last quote that I'll pull, but the one that kind of solidified it for me that it was a feminist book was this was kind of toward the beginning. But she says some men need to witness female anger to believe in that women's love. Some women need to get angry to experience that love. Some people grow together like a horrible species of lichen. My parents, I learned, were precisely that kind of symbiotic organism. This part reminded me a lot of the book When Women Were Dragons and how females are able to take this body of a dragon because they either show actual emotion and get angry and like take this form or they're able to show their true selves whether that's them being in a relationship with another woman whether that's actually coming to the truth that they need more from this relationship that they're being abused that type of thing that would turn them into a dragon of them actually like looking inside and I think that that quote kind of took me back to that book which is why I was like hmm maybe (laughs) but I do get where you're coming from but I think as I continued on this long rant. I go back and forth, but I think that that chapter with Emma solidified that it might be a feminist novel, at least in my eyes. That chapter was definitely the only outlier to the theme of the book. And again, that's kind of drawing back to like, it felt very like different little bits and parts. So that was definitely probably the only one where it like made me stop and think like if it was more of how that chapter was like written and her thought process. But I don't know, that was like the only chapter that had that. So it felt kind of like out of place. Yeah. Because before she was never really like speaking like that, thinking like that. And then all of a sudden she had to like come to terms with it because of everything that was happening. So it kind of like also made me question, it's like, does she really think like this? Or is it just because everything is crumbling around her? She has to, again, find an excuse for herself for that self-preservation because she's so selfish. It didn't feel normal for her to think and say these things. Oh, no, that that makes a lot of sense. When you start reading the book, you have a sense of how society is supposed to work. And then you have to like rewire your brain into thinking how 
her society is supposed to work so you get used to it and then it starts crumbling down around her so you have to kind of like put yourself back into how society actually works she can't kill people she can't eat people that's not really how life goes so sorry honey you gotta go as I was reflecting and as I was looking through Goodreads reviews and I was looking at pop culture and all this stuff, our society has a fascination with cannibalism. And I I saw it firsthand when I was in San Diego and there was a literal cannibal exhibit at the um, Museum of Man. And I went, there was like a portion of the exhibit where you'd go into a room and I was by myself, so I didn't have anybody with me, but I was in this group with strangers. And then we were on a shipwreck and we had to kill someone. We had to eat someone because we didn't have anything to eat. So we all drew sticks out of the box. Did you lose? No, I didn't. I got to eat someone. But like, then you're like, oh God, I have to eat someone. So my question to you is why do you think our society has such a fascination with cannibalism? I think it's kind of on the same lines of lines of people's fascination with like true crime, serial killers, sociopaths, psychopaths. That's never really been my scene. I'm not really one to like catch a catch a criminal, catch a predator kind of person. That's never really like fascinated me. I don't find it interesting. Like they have a mental disorder where they think these things and they act this way and this is just how they naturally are. I don't understand like the spectacle of it. I mean, yes, it is interesting. Like it's it's definitely interesting to come to face like face to face with something that's not normal on like society's terms. So it's definitely interesting. Of course, like this book, like of course the most gruesome killing. I was like, yay, more go get fucked. But it these scenarios bring people as close as possible as they can to these unreal scenarios without actually having to experience. It's like watching a horror film and you're like, ooh, spooky. And then at the end of the film, they're like based on true events and you're like, oh fuck, like, oh shit. Like it almost makes it more scary that it's like real. And I think that's kind of like people's fascination with cannibalism because it's how she stated in the book, it's as close as you can get to somebody is consuming them. People don't really think this way about like eating animals and other like mammals, but because it's like, they're obviously not as cognizant, they're not, they don't like think the way we do, feel the way we do. But it's like, other than having sex, it is the closest you can be to someone physically. And I think this book kind of puts it in a really interesting way because she views sex and eating people kind of on the same plane because she can't emotionally relate to people. So the only thing she can do is get physically close to these people, which is having sex with them and physically consuming them. And I think that's like what's so fascinating about it is because people who can create emotional bonds, we don't we don't understand why someone would do this because they're is nothing as close as you can be to someone than on an emotional level. So it's like, we don't really understand why would someone go to these lengths, but it's like someone who can't make an emotional connection. So I think that's like really interesting because we're kind of like people who don't think this way, can't wrap our heads around it. So we try to like consume as much as we can, no pun intended, with like a failed attempt to understand why these people are doing what they're doing. That was perfectly said. <laughs> yeah. I have a fascination with survivalist podcasts of like people surviving these crazy things. And I have a fascination with it because it's something that I don't think I would ever be in the situation. <laughs> you know, like I'm not a big person to go on a big backpacking trip. I love listening to those stories because I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Like I want to hear how these people got out because like I know that some at least somebody got out of this situation. And so I think it's that novelty 
thing that just gets everybody kind of intrigued. I think this was a good introduction to it because it was pretty tame. If you've never read or consumed any like serial killer content, this is probably a great start because never in the point I ever felt like I was like, this is scary. Yeah, it was never scary. It wasn't, (laughs) I was going to say, it's not tame in the fact of like oh she definitely describes how she kills and eats people like it's definitely not like tame but it's not scary it's not scary it's not scary at all but i do think it's um that was like my one qualm that i was like it is not for the faint of heart or the weak of stomach it's it's a lot it is a lot yeah i'm like reading it at work at lunch and i'm like what is i'm like sweating is it hot in here <laughs> but i think it's the only way to write this book and have it be somewhat credible yes i'm ready to head into our final ratings Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Final ratings out of five. Mine was Goodreads. You can only rate like you can't rate like half stars. So I actually rated it three stars. I probably if someone came up to me and they were like, I want a book about a serial killer that isn't scary. This is exactly what I would recommend. But the chances of someone wanting that are slim to none. So unless that one specific person came up to me, I would actually not recommend this book. I think it just needed like a couple more revisions, a couple more eyes on it. And then I think I would give it like four, four and a half. I probably, if they would allow me a half, I probably would have given it 3.5, 3.78, like close to four, but I didn't think it was in the four or five range. Okay. I gave it a 4.5 out of five on Goodreads. Oh, that's pretty high. It is pretty high. I think after talking with you, I would maybe lower it to a four. You make good points. It didn't quite come together at the end. It just wasn't quite there. And like knowing that this was her first book, she was like a contributing writer. Like this is her first full novel. It makes sense. I can't really like knock her for trying because it was a good book. I can't write a novel like that on my first try. I could, mine would have been absolute garbage. So it's like, it's not bad in any way, but it's just, it wasn't... I think it was, I said it was weird, graphic, horrific, and downright gross, but it was also like filled with beautiful prose. It had questions about human morality. It had a feminist take on murder and an intimate look inside the head of a psychopath. And I think just the writing itself really helped elevate it. Um, I know some people were like, it was way too pretentious, but I think if you know any, if you have met any food writer, they are all like this. Chefs are the most stressful people to try to be around. And like food critics, anyone who's like related in like top tier food industry are very pretentious. So I liked the pretentiousness of it because it just fit. I mean, she's a smart writer who's a food critic. Like what, what else were you expecting? Exactly. Well, let's get into our pairings. I'm very excited about this one because I had like a wealth of ones to pick from, which is weird. It doesn't happen for me like that. Pairings are where we pick TV shows, movies, or other books and or other books that pair well with today's books as well as a drink. So do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Yeah, I want you to go first because I want to think about mine. I want to think about mine. I'm picking mine on the spot. I didn't do much. I didn't 
do any of the homework. I do that. I do that sometimes. It's a, it's a wild ride. So my drink, of course, has to be the Corpse Reviver number two, because that's what she, that's literally her first chapter, is named after this. So it's Absinthe Gin Lip Blanc, which is like a sweet wine, um, orange liqueur, lemon juice, which actually sounds ridiculously good. I was almost going to make one tonight, and I was like, I don't know, gin or absinthe <laughs> or Lilith. So, yes, she talks about that drink and kind of goes into prohibition in the very first chapter, and it kind of sets you off, sets you on the course for this wild ride. Um, my TV show is Yellow Jackets. Uh, there is a theme of cannibalism. There is a theme of a fem- feminist take on a traditionally male story. It's kind of a Lord of the Flies-esque. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's about a women's soccer team who is, a, it's a high school soccer team, and they crash in the mountains of Canada, and they're kind of forced to survive on their own for a year and a half and it flashes forward in about 25 years and you kind of see how this uh, progression has taken the very first scene of the very first episode so I'm not giving anything away is a girl running through the forest and she falls into a uh, hole that's like filled with spikes meant to kill her and then they kill her and then they eat her it's (laughs) it's a wild ride it is like one of my top 10 shows of all time season two is coming out very soon I'm very excited anyways book is One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. You have the unreliable narrator, narrator. you kind of have the locked up similarities of all these killers and all these psychopaths kind of locked in the same room, what would happen um, once they kind of challenge authority. And then uh, my other book was Killers of a Certain Age. I actually haven't read this, but I heard the author kind of talk about it. And it's, think of it as Charlie's Angels, but for older women. So it kind of has the older woman take on this female empowerment theme. And then my movie, I have two. I have Fresh, with Sebastian, I've I've said this. I think I've, I think I've used it a few times, but it's just freaking good. Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan. Um, it's about cannibalism. It's a weird story. I am gonna give it away. So if you haven't watched it, I haven't seen or watched any of these that you've recommended. I'm sorry. I'm just not hip to the like the killer cannibal scene. I'm sorry. Can I give it away? I will not watch it. I promise you. Okay. This movie is about um, a girl, and she goes on a date with a guy and he seems very nice and he takes her to his house. It's a very nice house. She gets drugged and she wakes up and parts of her body are missing and it ends up he is a guy who takes women and like starts chopping off body parts and strips them to people who like to eat women. I have heard of that one. Yeah, they end up killing him and chopping off his uh, hoo-ha. Uh, and then my other movie was Promising Young Woman. Good one. Yep. Yep. She is a woman who kills men. She tries to pretend to be drunk and intoxicated and then sees which men will take advantage of that because she had a friend who had that happen to her and so she is killing men but kind of in a vengeful way so a little bit different but she uses sex as a power play which Dorothy also does and then last but not least this is a very special special pairing I will never direct you toward another podcast but unfortunately in this situation I just have to because it just makes sense um like I was saying I love the survivalist podcast and so one of the my favorites is against the odds it's a wondery podcast it's very good each season is a different story so it's a different like survivalist story and so one of them was the plane crash in the andes that was about the 1972 uruguayan rugby team that was traveling to chile and then they ended up crashing in the andes and people were killed they had to eat each other in order to survive so (laughs) those are mine (laughs) 
Those are good. So for my pairings, I'm I'm probably just gonna say a real, real tanniny, dark, inky, bloody uh, Cab Sav. Yeah, that was my second choice. <laughs> I just want something that pairs well with meat. I want something that I want to taste like iron. Like I want something that like dries my mouth out. I want something that's like borderline icky. So that's gonna be my drink pairing. My book pairing is actually going to be, I had to, I'm trying to find the title of the one. I believe it's called Tender is the Flesh. It is a book where it basically presents the narrative of what if we, like all, and I believe, I haven't read it, but I believe animals have phased out. So they basically corral and kill humans to eat in replace of animal meat. It's like in like kind of like a post-apocalyptic scenario. So that would be one. And then one book that I have read, I still don't know if this, I'm pronouncing it right, is Lapvona, L-A-P-V-O-N-A by Otessa. It's not really in the same lines of serial killery. There are a couple of like scenes where they like might possibly have to eat other people. Sometimes they do. But if you're like, this wasn't quite like icky, like spooky, scary, icky enough. This one like took all of the parts you wanted just a little extra of in this book and it like cranks it up to like 12. So that one's a really good one if you like want something a little more icky. Um, TV show, obviously Dexter. I kind of liked how I view Dorothy and Dexter kind of the same where it's like, it's very much less like violent killer, like, ooh, like he's a villain but it's more of just like someone given this very hard to deal with mental illness and they're just trying to like make it through the day and this so happens the only way they want to make it through life is killing people um movie i don't have any movies unfortunately i don't really watch movies and if i do especially not with cannibalism in it so sorry (laughs) well amazing that is our conversation on um cannibalism, female empowerment, and women serial killers and psychopaths. I think we did. I think we did it well. I think we did. Thank you for everyone who stuck around this long and uh, cheers. Cheers. Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. Again, that's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t, at rwreadspodcast on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all.